Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 11 of Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to be reading in verses 10 and 11. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And um, this will conclude our study in chapter 4. But let's uh, go over these two verses. We, we already began to discuss verse 10. And it begins by saying, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. And we've seen that the four and twenty elders are a picture of all of God's elect. Their, um, uh, the image is taken from the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles of the Lamb, which would total twenty-four. And it would identify the Old Testament children of God and the New Testament children of God all being round about the throne and and uh, wearing crowns upon their heads as it says here and they're worshiping him that liveth forever and ever or for ages and ages and this is something that God's people will do eternally in the future we will serve God and worship him we will bow before him submit ourselves to him uh, there there will be in that sense no difference than how God is worshiped today God is worshiped by his people when they they uh, obey his commandments when they seek to do his will when the child of God submits himself and humbles himself. Uh, of course, he's only able to do that by the Spirit of God working within. But when he does accomplish that and, and when he is brought low before the Word of God and seeks to do God's will on any point, then he is bowing down before the Almighty and serving him and recognizing God is sovereign. God is king and Lord. He is the supreme ruler. That uh, it is the only one in authority over my life. There is none other but him. And, and only him. Uh, well, someone might wonder, well, how can this be done? How can anyone... Um, serve God and worship God and bow down before him? How does anyone know uh, to do this and, and what it is actually to submit to him? Well, we know when we understand the teachings of the Bible. The Bible directs us in worship of God. As we learn the scriptures, as we learn what God would have us to do, uh, uh, as he reveals his will through the divine revelation of the Bible, then we can actually 
uh, we we can actually know if we are worshiping him. Now, the the Bible once again says that the twenty and four elders, uh, typifying all of God's elect, they fall down before him that sat on the throne. God is the supreme ruler, even though those twenty four elders themselves were said to be seated upon thrones. Yet they don't think uh, very highly of themselves at all. They don't certainly think that they're in a position of authority over God, that that their um, royal state or condition is uh, somehow equal to God or above him. No, they they understand that they are subservient, that they they are to worship and serve God himself, the one that lives for ages and ages. And as a, a token or an indicator, as a demonstration of this subservient position, they cast their crowns before the throne. Now, the crown itself, as we've um, looked at this in previous studies, the crown represents salvation. It's a picture of the salvation God has given them, that he has bestowed upon them through his grace and by his mercy. He has, uh, he has placed a crown of glory, a crown of wisdom and honor, a crown of the righteousness of Christ, the crown of salvation spiritually. It, of course, it's not an actual crown, but it, this crown represents all these things. And God has placed it upon uh, the, the children of God. And they take this crown and cast the crown before the throne. Now, is that um, an act of rebellion? Is it an act of um, uh, of uh, dishonor in any way? No, no. It is it is as though they are saying to God, "We are not worthy. We are not deserving." It it is um, it, it there is nothing in us. We of ourselves are dirty rotten sinners filthy we we are um unjust unrighteous we are guilty and deserving of death deserving of destruction and yet you have saved us and you have lifted us up to this lofty place to be seated in the heavenlies in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ the king of heaven you have made us sons and daughters and uh, uh, and made us kings uh, um, and priests and prophets. You have done all these things for us. And yet, uh, it, when we look at what you have done and we, we know exactly what we are or were, we were sinners, that all we can do is take this crown that you have bestowed upon us and... And certainly not think anything um, great of ourselves and, and think that we are something now. And to think too highly of ourselves. But we cast it before your throne. 
because you are worthy, as it says in verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Only you are worthy. We do not seek after these things. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, it says in Psalm 115. But unto thy name give glory. Not unto the sinner, to the one that has done everything possible to uh, receive your wrath and and ought to have been destroyed like any other sinner, but only by thy uh, by thy abundant goodness and grace have you spared us and and would we now think we're something? No, we cast this crown before you in recognition of your worth and our complete unworthiness. You know, we read in the Bible that the child of God, the true believer, has um, a, a very deep understanding of this fact that he is nothing. In Luke chapter 7, we read um, a historical account of a Roman centurion who was uh, favorable towards the Jews. And, well, let, let's just read it. In Luke 7, in verse, uh, verse 3, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Now we see that men look upon other men, and they esteem them worthy. Oh, this man is worthy. And men do this all the time. They lift up their fellow man. Do something kindly towards them, be generous towards them, and and they will uh, most definitely think that you are worthy. You're a good man and faithful, and and yet, what is the actual situation? As far as God is concerned, even though this man seemingly loved the nation and built a synagogue. In verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed." Now the centurion, he doesn't buy what all the, the people are telling him. He doesn't think that's the case at all. He understands himself. He knows himself. He knows that what's inside of him. He knows what God has done for him and shown him about his own self. And God does work that way. In people's lives, when God is truly dealing with a person, that that individual does not end up 
uh, complimenting himself and thinking well of himself. Remember, that's the case in uh, Luke 18, where Jesus gives us the example of two men. And he says in Luke 18, in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what was the first man saying, the Pharisee? He was telling God of his worthiness. Oh, yes, uh, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men, that I do this, that I do that, that I uphold your law, that I fast twice in in the week, that I give tithes. You see my my worthiness, how much I deserve your favor and your blessing and to be one of your people, not like this other man, this publican. And the publican, does he go to God and and um, tell God all of his his good deeds? Does he go and and ascribe his um, worthiness, his own worthiness, and and try to prove his righteousness? No, no, because God's dealing with that man, and all he can say is that he recognizes, he sees his sin. He cannot even look up to heaven. He just beats upon his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that is how God um, deals with people. When he brings his word into their life, he will make them sorry for their sin. As King David wrote in the Psalms, that as the word of God is read and as the spirit of God applies it to the conscience and to the heart of the reader, if God is so applying it, then just as the men saw Christ right on the ground when they had brought the woman caught in adultery and were convicted by their own conscience. Normally, they would have no problem, but God uh, at that point certainly impressed his word, his law upon their conscience as it's written upon all the consciences of mankind. All it, it The word of God is deep down in the heart of man. And so they went away being convicted. And and this is what God's word does to the child of God. Oh, they, they read and they read law after law and they realize I've broken that law. I've broken this law. The more they learn, the more laws they understand the more they see their own sin. This is actually the purpose of the law. 
as God gave it, as he has given us his word and multiplied laws. Um, he, he tells us this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God gave the law, the whole Bible is his law book, and as people read that law book, there will come the knowledge of sin, the the uh, understanding, there will be comprehension. I have broken the law of God. And for those that are God's elect, this serves a purpose, because in Romans 10, it says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That is, God first uses the law of God to break the hard-hearted sinner, to humble him, to bring him into submission, to cause him to be sorry for his sins, to grieve over his transgressions, and, and since he is one of God's elect, to finally, at the end of the this process, the end of the law, to show him Christ and Christ's righteousness and the purity and holiness and and the perfection of Christ, all the things that the sinner lacks. God shows the Lord Jesus Christ to his elect and then that that elect person is then free from the law, free from its condemnation. And and now it stands by the grace of God through the faith that justifies him, the faith of Christ. Well, let's go back to Revelation 4. And verse uh, 10 um, said that they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, and then in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And and this is where the child of God um gives worthiness not in himself not to anything he has done not to his actions not he does not think for a second that he has deserved god's salvation but the worthiness is given to god and god alone thou art worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And, and now God is uh, is directing us to um, to consider His power as Creator. For Thou, the Almighty, hast created all things. And, of course, this is true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created this world. He created the universe. He created all the creatures, including the highest of the 
the creatures, mankind created in the image of God. He created all these things. And and now a statement is made, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now the word pleasure is only translated as pleasure here in this verse. It is the uh, the Greek word is thelema, and it is most often translated as will. It's translated as desires one time, as pleasure one time, and as will it's over 60 times. Uh, and uh, just about every other place you find this word in, in the vast majority of times it's used in the New Testament, it will be translated as will. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, where we find it, I think, uh, four times. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And, and that's the same word, the same Greek word, thelema. And then in verse 4, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of his will. Uh, this is the, the only reason given in the Bible for why God chose Jacob and, uh, and did not choose Esau. Why he chose you or me and did not choose many others. It, it's all according to the good pleasure of his will that, uh, that God elected certain ones to become saved and did not elect others. Now, um, in verse 9, it says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. And then also in verse 11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And all these places are, are a translation of that same Greek word, thelema. We see that God's salvation plan, the salvation of all those that, that he ultimately has saved, all whose names were recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, has everything to do with his will. It, as God exercised his will. Now man distorts that and perverts that truth by developing a doctrine uh, known as free will, that which says that an individual man can uh, bring salvation or woman to themselves by deciding and and when you make a decision you're exercising your will to accept Christ I choose I 
uh, uh, through my will, through the power of my own will, I will make a decision and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Now I'm saved is what many churches teach, is what many pastors preach. That's how you get saved. And it is the worst sort of uh, perversion of the gospel of grace, of the gospel that teaches we are saved not by our own will, but only exclusively by the will of God. As, as God says in, in John chapter 1, where this same Greek word thalema is found, he says in John 1.13, which were born, and he's speaking of being born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is, being born again is not. God plainly states it. He matter-of-factly says it right in this verse. If anyone um, says, well, uh, you have to exercise your will to be born again, well, this verse would refute that. As God says, you are not born by the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The will of God is what makes someone born again, and only the will of God. And it doesn't matter uh, how forceful someone insists with their own will. I am a believer. I accepted Christ ten years ago on this date, and I know I'm a child of God. Don't try to tell me I'm not. Of course, we don't tell anyone they're not. But but for someone to insist that based on the power of their own will, they are a child of God is just going contrary to the Bible. As God says in Romans chapter 9, in verse 15, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You you just can't get any uh, clearer than that, any more straightforward than that. But of course, it won't do any good for uh, for those that have the other gospel of uh, preaching and and telling people that you have to choose Christ. They're they're set in their ways and and the days of of uh, hoping that God might open up individuals' eyes in the churches are past. The church age is over, and and we're not actually even attempting to try and correct their doctrine. It wouldn't matter if they did correct it at this point. But there is no getting around the absolute truth of the Bible that man's will in, in the matter of salvation is worthless. It doesn't matter what a man thinks about his salvation. It doesn't matter what a man says about his salvation he cannot 
through the the power or the strength of his own will and and his own ability to be stirred up within bring salvation to himself that is only accomplished by the sovereign decree of the glorious king of heaven only god can save the sinner and of course that's another area where the the whole matter is passed god has already exercised his will in saving all of the elect.